so excited tonight uh, to be delivering SciFight uh, as part of National Science Week in partnership with Science Gallery Melbourne. Um, who came tonight for science? Make some noise. <laughs> you put your hands up, your sweethearts. That's so nice. Uh, who came for comedy? That's right. Who came because you were looking for the toilet and you can't find the exit? three of you. Well, no one's in the wrong place. Uh, you're all very welcome. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Uh, who's been to a sci-fi before? <laughs> the loud people. Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for everyone taking a, a gamble who's come for the first time. You're in for a treat. Um, for the newly initiated, uh, SciFight is a place where we bring together the sharpest minds from science and comedy and we make them debate serious issues in a very silly way. Uh, my name is Alanta. I'll be your host and adjudicator for this evening. And tonight we ask, should we embrace our animal natures? We're animals. We may have pulled ourselves out of the primordial muck by our bootstraps. We may have invented sophistications such as chess, quantum mechanics, and the nutbush. Uh, we may have gained consciousness followed by curiosity, hope, and existential, bef uh, existential despair. But have we forgotten our roots? Many of the things that make us miserable today, we invented. Inflation, the five-day work week, Brexit. And you never see a bonobo stressing about whether their stock portfolio has received an adequate return on investment. Many of the things that we would be better off, perhaps, if we just shrugged off our fictional fetters and returned to a simpler, more primal existence. Or are we actually better off leaving our bestial identities behind. After all, there was a lot of murder <laughs> and disease and, and falling off things. Have we too easily forgotten the horrors of our base selves now buried under pen licenses and underwear? Uh, to resolve this evolutionary enigma, please make some noise for the affirmative. We have the primal Michelle Rank, <laughs> Marissa Parrott, and Aaron Michelle. And on the negative, it is the evolved Ebony Chirachi, Elise Phillips, and Nicholas J. Johnson. You have to keep clapping for the entire walk to their chairs. <laughs> Walk faster or clap longer is the rule. Um, <laughs> we're all comfortable? We're good? Yes? Okay, good. Uh, before we kick off with the debate, uh, let's check in with our debaters and see how they're going. Uh, we'll kick off with you, Michelle. There's a microphone there for your, for your face. We believe in you, Michelle. You can, you can use your loud voice. Um, now, you, you teach human anatomy at University of Melbourne. You, if you were going to change one aspect of the human anatomy, what would you, what would you change? Great question. Uh, and my first initial response would be pockets, because I feel like we need more pockets. Okay. <laughs> so just like fleshy cargo humans. <laughs> fleshy cargo human. <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> Hilarious. That would be awesome. But I think the I think I'm going to say we are we are poorly designed and super super squishy uh -huh. and really easily damaged. So I would say like infinite regenerative capacity. Ooh. Okay. So so not just going exoskeletal. Actually, just 
better at redesigning ourselves on the on the go. Okay, well, if someone in the audience could work on that, that uh, that would be excellent. Uh, we'll throw to Marissa, and I think Mark was going to have a crack at trying to get the mic working, so pass it to our, our dear Mark. Um, Marissa, while that's happening, um, so great to have you at Sci-Fi. Thank you for coming. Um, now, you're a reproductive biologist at Zoos Vic. Um, if you could pick any animal to have in the zoo that the zoo doesn't currently have... Uh, what what animal would you pick? It's on. I think this is working now. Yeah. Is this working now? Excellent. Thank you. I have got so many beautiful animals at the zoo already, but I think if I had to choose one that we don't have, we're not working with, thylacine. Thylacine. Because they were gorgeous and we sent them extinct. And none of that is comedy, actually. <laughs> it's quite depressing. So the serious answer is thylacine okay. and the less serious answer Aliens. <laughs> because despite all of those movies that we've seen with aliens, nothing could go wrong, I'm sure. Um, in, in the reproductive biologist community, is it accepted? Because people basically just, I feel like it went under the radar that we just decided aliens are actually in existence. Is that how, how you guys are landing on that side of the coin? How could that many Hollywood movies be wrong? <laughs> of course they're there. It's good to hear that's how you measure science. Okay, excellent. We'll, we'll throw to Erin. Um, welcome to Sci-Fi. Great to have you. Thank you. Hello. Um, now, how did you get into the mindset for tonight's debate? Oh, I, um, I had an easy morning, uh, a breakfast, and then quickly got a PhD. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I didn't want to let the rest of the team down uh -huh. um, with my bachelor's, uh, so I just did a real speed run. What kind, what kind of PhD did you get? A, a science PhD. A science one. Good. I uh, wouldn't want wouldn't to get any more specific than that. All right. We'll throw to the negative. Uh, Ebony, hello. Hello. It's, it's on. Oh, it's on? on? Okay, great. It sounds like nothing. <laughs> um, welcome back to Sci-Fi. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, now, you also study reproductive biology. I do. I, I really loaded up on the reproductive <laughs> biologist for this de debate, and I'm, I'm pleased with my choices. Um, what have you learned from the animals that you've studied uh, that you've incorporated into your everyday life? That's, uh, that's a good question. I'm going to go with the pocket theme because I work on marsupials and I think that pockets would also be really handy. So I've learned to always have pockets for the many babies I might. Yeah, none of the sound and now all of the sound. Okay, good. We'll roll with it. We will roll with it. It's what humans are good at. Um, how do, do marsupials clean their pockets? Yeah? Yeah, they do. How? And do they get lint in their pockets? Okay, a sticky thing. Is there any... Is... Human pockets would not be sticky. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Elise, welcome to Sci-Fi. <laughs> um, it's... Here we go, hi. Hello. Hey, I was going to say, Hi. it's a placebo microphone. <laughs> I just feel secure holding it. <laughs> um, what's the best thing about performing at Science Gallery Melbourne tonight? Well, I mean, that sound we just experienced was pretty special. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, but also, I don't know if 
all of you have had a chance to go be in the room next door. There is there is a table that is full of pipe cleaners and glitter and sequins and they've also got like a bunch of Lego in there. Best green room I've been in in my life, hands down. I will be going back in there afterwards and they will have to drag me out of there. <laughs> I'm having a good long play. It's yeah. pretty great. Uh, I will ensure my rider for all future events <laughs> involves that many pipe cleaners. It's really <laughs> excellent. Nicholas, welcome back to SciFight. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, now, what strategy did you and your team uh, decide to employ tonight? Oh, I, I, I wasn't aware we were supposed to have a strategy. Um, we've, it's mostly just been just personal insults about the other side. Is that where, where we've agreed on, right? Yeah, it's really it's, – we're just ad hominem attacks and personal digs. Okay. Uh, not much else in the way of strategy. Sorry, I think we no, no misunderstood no, no the assignment. Legal, no legal people in tonight? That no, that's all right. Yeah. We're all friends here. I mean, except for us, but everyone else. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, now we'll just do the rules of SciFight because uh, everyone always has more fun with rules. Uh, now, where <laughs> You can't boo the rules. <laughs> Direct your energy at the other team. Uh, now, we're all sensitive animals here, so a reminder to both teams not to defame or ad hominem your opponents. I feel like that's going to be relevant for the evening. Um, we're here for a good time, not a long time. So each debater has eight minutes um, to present their case to you all. If people go longer, I will start reciting Who Let the Dogs Out in the style of spoken word, and it will ruin it for you. <laughs> Come the end of the debate, our trusty audience, you will be called on to decide who the winning team is by shouting, because science has proved that the loudest person in any room is always the most correct. <laughs> uh, for our... To introduce our first affirmative speaker this evening, Michelle Rank is a neurophysiologist and human anatomy education specialist at the University of Melbourne. Uh, her central research interest focuses on how we can improve clinical knowledge of anatomy through the use of digital resources. When not at work, Michelle is testing the limits of her own anatomy with circus or full contact roller skating, which I'm pretty sure is just what you call an accident. But, <laughs> Please make some noise for Michelle Rank. Hi, friends. I'd show you my full contact roller derby bruises, but I would uh, get arrested. Um, hi, I'm Michelle. I use she, they pronouns. I'm here to convince you, actually, that the other team is poorly qualified for this debate. They haven't prepared at all. You can see that. They've got no strategy. They willingly admitted to it. Their arguments are, I mean, I've seen them. You can't even really call them arguments. You'll see that. They're patently absurd, the whole thing. And they're certainly neither based in reality nor substance. Unlike my team, we're here to argue that we should embrace our animal nature. And you'll notice, dear audience and listeners at home eventually, um, for those of us in the room tonight, you can see like immediately Mine is the more attractive team, yeah? <laughs> Affirmative? Definitely. 100%. We've got this. And the other team, I mean, look, you've tried? That's lovely. <laughs> so not only are we more qualified, it's laughable that the no side even bothered showing up. Frankly, I feel sorry for them. You should too. You should certainly save all of your applause for me, for us. None of your applause for them. Just pity. 
But it's, it's okay. You're trying your best. <laughs> Just sad that that's your best. It's fine. All right, so <laughs> enough of that. Let's actually get started. All right, so I'm an associate professor of anatomy. Yeah, I'm pulling rank. <laughs> so I can vouch for the fact that humans and animals, we share the same basic muscle bone structure. Pockets, pockets, yes. Um, so obviously, from a biological perspective, there's very little that differentiates us from animals. We are animals. But I'm here to convince you that not only should we embrace our animal nature, we've actually never left it behind us. And I'm going to start with feeding, because probably not many of us have had dinner and I'm hungry, so that's, that's where my head's at. All right, so anyone who's spent time in your typical cubicle farm, you'll notice there's a certain office pecking order, yeah? The undeniable predatory nature of office politics. Your office experience may vary. Possibly I'm just trauma dumping academia, not, not an awesome place. But anyway, we're undeniably predators, yeah? So predators select their prey in order to eat a nutritionally balanced diet and give themselves the best chance of producing healthy offspring. Possibly not in the office. Not an appropriate approved behavior. All right. So there's this really cool new study with beetles that shows for the first time that predatory animals choose their food based on its nutritional value, not just the overall calorie content. So we're not just like seeking out calorie bombs. The sound is wild tonight. Wow. Okay, when beetles, they were collected from the wild, scientists did this, and they were provided with a range of food, these beetles. And the beetles, when they were allowed to, they selected an appropriate balance of protein and fat that was optimal for producing healthy eggs. These nutritionally balanced beetles produced more eggs than the beetles that had this enforced garbage diet. So this was actually true of our prehistoric paleolithic selves as well. Not the modern paleo diet, yeah? Because, like, I'm definitely not getting good nutritional balance at the supermarket when I'm reaching for that, like, bougie protein ball. You know what I'm talking about. We've all seen these things. Yeah, not quite the same thing. The real paleo diet was really broad. It was heavily influenced by geographical nature, by food availability, super seasonal. Just like the beetles, nutritionally balanced. So fast forward to modern-day me seeking nutritional balance – just like the beetle, on a Friday night after a busy week, I'm feeling nutritionally devoid, I've had a hard week, I go to Macca's and get that calorie bomb. And then I balance it out on Monday with a beautiful salad. Like, yeah, we all do this, right? So we're all seeking that animalistic balance of calorie bombs versus, you know, fiber or whatever. All right, speaking of calorie consumption, I sometimes find myself thinking about the way really hungry animals eat. I told you, man, I didn't have dinner before I came here. This is where my head's at. All right. So hungry animals kind of like snatch at their food. Yeah. Like they cram it in as quickly as they can. Now, I challenge you to visit any kebab shop at 3 a.m. after last call and tell me, tell me, you don't see that same frenzied look in those drunk's eyes, because I sure do. We are animals, my friends, and you don't have to look very far to see that. All right, back to feeding. All right, well, okay, not, not quite feeding. Actually, the things that happen after feeding. Yeah, we're going to talk about bathroom stuff. We're going to talk about butt stuff, too. We are definitely in the toilet humor section of this debate. I mean, in the first instance, both feeding and toileting, hugely vulnerable behaviors, right? When we're eating, we can't defend ourselves. 
when we're pooping, we also can't really, I mean, if we are defending our, it's like, it's a totally different thing at that stage, right? So, but hear me out. So anyone who's ever been a perv, and I know there's some of us in the room. (laughs) Look, I didn't even finish the sentence. (laughs) That was great. All right. So has anyone ever been a perv and actually like watched their dog or another animal while, while they're pooping? We've all done this. Yeah, I've been by the park. All right. It's okay. Safe space. We can admit to it. You're not strange. We all do it. But sometimes what you'll notice is these animals, while they're pooping, will like look up at their owners. They're looking up at their owners for safety and security to be sure their owners have got their backs just in case another animal is going to come at them. Some fun pets will even accompany you to the bathroom, to the toilet, to make sure that you're protected while you're pooping. Like just in case you're going to be invaded by like some intruder in the house or some housemate that really has boundary issues. But, but they're there to protect you in those vulnerable moments. Even the way that we've designed spaces that we currently use to poop in is to protect ourselves in the exact same way that animals do, right? Like we just fancy it up with like scent sticks and soft towels. And I'm telling you a lot about what my interior design looks like. Um, So we like to think it's civilized, that we're private. You know, we do that stuff in private outside of you. Yeah, fair, but also bullshit, right? This is classic animal behavior. We want to be self-protective. That's all we're doing. We're just fancying it up. Even the poo jogger used a dark alley out of view of everything but the cameras, right? Oh, my gosh. Is that my eight minutes? Okay, that was just random. (laughs) Like, listen, I'm on page three. Okay, so let's get our minds out of the literal gutter, poo jogger. I bet you're wondering how I'm going to segue from pooping, like, to the rest of my argument. I'm not. Technology, done, segue, achieved. Okay, so at this stage, you might be thinking, Michelle, we're surrounded by technology, and we are. Some of it's even working tonight. And it clearly shows that this, all of this is showing that we're separate from our animal brethren, right? Sure, fine, let's pretend that. Let's have a look at the tech around us right now. Microphones, amplifying equipment, recording equipment. There's this creature called the mole cricket. It's truly horrifying, by the way. Um, Google, Google image search that bugger. All right, so it burrows this like really cool double-ended hole that acts like a trumpet to amplify its sound so it can attract a mate. Like a trumpet, wait a second. We have trumpets. Are we actually just mole beetles singing our jazzy song of our people to attract our mates? Because it's not that far from what animals are doing. Crows and ravens, super, super smart birds. So they're capable of reasoning, cause and effect. They can do multi-step puzzles. And scientists have even tested this. So they took this like cool, clear box and filled it with like crow treatos. I don't know what a crow treat is, like a worm? I don't know. So scientists put it in this clear box, and gave crows tools. And the only way they could get at the treat was with a long tool that they had to stick in the hole in the box and push the treat out the other side. And then scientists, cruel individuals that we are, took the long stick away, gave them a bunch of short tools, and then the crow had to figure out how to get that same treato out of that same box. And wouldn't you know it, in four or six minutes, it fashioned a long tool out of several pieces of small tools using paper and plastic and various materials. Four to six minutes. Have you ever watched a toddler try to figure something out in four to six minutes? Like they can't even figure out that you've hidden the keys behind a blanket when they've watched you do it. Have you ever tried to see them work a fork? Can't even work a fork. So even though we are animalistic by nature, animals are doing a better job of it than we are. We're doing a piss poor job. 
So speaking of toddlers, yep, talking bathroom humor. Now I'm going to make fun of kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, toddlers are jerks. They're basically feral hyenas, yeah? So toddlers 100% embracing their animal natures. We have to train kindness and manners and civility and sharing into toddlers, into ourselves. So our default state is, is screaming and hitting until we get our needs met and forget boundaries. Toddlers, no boundaries, zero, just like those pets that come to the bathroom with you. They just shout all the time, really. So there's nothing more animal than a belligerent toddler that's been denied what they want, right? So we start off in this animalistic nature. And then we kind of cosplay as civilized humans for the rest of our lives. But fundamentally, we haven't walked very far away from our animal natures at all. So hopefully I have convinced you of that. I'd like to leave you with one final inexorable fact that's going to bring this point to home before you have to listen to the other team try to like string words together into some coherent <laughs> sentence. Like, you're going to do your best. I really believe in you. Um, okay, so shark brains. Sharks, those masters of the sea. Shark brains look almost identical to the human uterus. Yep. Relevant? No. <laughs> Factual? Yes. Does it prove my point? Probably not. But that's where we're leaving it. I conclude my session. Thank you. <laughs> Michelle Ray. Using the, uh, the rarely deployed confound and confused strategy uh, to win over the audience, I've got to say, um, uh, you know, it's great to hear that the mole crickets are having success with their trumpets. Um, whenever I have had handled a trumpet, I have never yet attracted a mate, but I'll keep going. Um, just before we move on to our next debater, I, I wanted to share a little bit of science news uh, from this week with you. Um, it turns out, it's been revealed this week, that robots are better at proving that they're humans than humans are. I <laughs> don't know if you saw this story. A team of computer scientists at Cornell University studied over 200 websites' capture tests. Uh, capture standing for Completely Automated Public Turing Test to Tell Computers and Humans Apart an acronym that someone, someone definitely spent most of the grant money and time <laughs> coming up with, uh, they found not only is AI absolutely able to click the prove you're not a robot button uh, and identify the squares with the bits of sidewalk in it. Are you enjoying the flyby effect of the <laughs> microphone? It's keeping it wild. It's not the Prosecco you just drank. It is, in fact, the audio system. Um, uh, yeah, so it turns out, so yeah, AI is better at clicking at the prove you not a robot button. They found humans took like three to four seconds to complete a capture test with about 70 to 85% accuracy. <laughs> the fastest bot solved the same test in 1.4 seconds and can complete it with 100% accuracy. <laughs> this is a very embarrassing report card for humanity. <laughs> since failing the test, is now more likely to prove that you're human than passing the test. Maybe we need tests for genuine human behaviours, like proof that you semi-regularly walk into a room and instantly forget why you've entered the room or telling your dentist that you floss regularly when you definitely haven't uh, or having a high-level security password on a post-it note on your desk... Uh, no bot would be ready to fake that level of incompetence. 
Capture doesn't like to advertise exactly how their software works, but sources have revealed that it's not just based on the box that you click, but when you engage with the page, it prompts the website to check your browser history, um, which means, and if you've, to see if you've actually been Googling in a human-y kind of way. So if you've been locked out <laughs> of a Capture website, uh, it might be because of the number of times you've Googled Schwarzenegger anime, uh, no one's believing anyone could be that interested. Um, or if you've recently Googled how to appear more human to pass a human capture test, <laughs> you will probably also fail the test. Uh, our next speaker is exceedingly human, and I mean that in a good way, not in an irre irrevocably flawed way. <laughs> Proof in point. Uh, by day, Ebony Giorocci is an overworked and underrested PhD candidate. By night, she's an overworked and underrested show pony. Uh, Ebony's PhD looks at developing assisted reproductive technologies like in vitro fertilization uh, for a very small and very cute Australian marsupial called the Fat Tailed Dunnart. If you look hard, you'll also find her loitering at Science Gallery Melbourne. Please don't tell her supervisor just how much time she spends here and not in the lab. And when the sun goes down, you might find Ebony teaches cheesy retro dance classes, performing as drag king Basil Bush, or looking for a cosy little nook to sneak in a nap. Please welcome to the stage, Ebony. Sorry about that. Um, so I did leave a space for rebuttals on my on my little notes pad, but um, I just. I don't really think I heard too many feasible arguments from Michelle, to be completely honest, um, because I thought the affirmative team were supposed to be convincing us that we should embrace our animal nature, but all I heard was toddler temper tantrums and conjuring the image of a 3am kebab shop, which not not proving very favourable, I'm, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Look, now, before I want to, um, before I get into my own arguments, I want to just get something off my chest. Um, I've been particularly nervous about, <coughs> about this sci-fi, um, not due to the tech, but uh, because uh, as a fellow marsupial researcher, uh, I've actually looked up to Dr. Marissa Parrott for some time now. Um, so I think in this situation, you know, going to head to he going head to head with somebody um, I've admired for such a long time, that there's only really one thing that I can do in this situation, which is to absolutely destroy them in a debate. <laughs> right. So, like a good first speaker should, I'm going to start by breaking down um, our topic. <laughs> so, what do we say when we mean? What do we mean when we say animal nature? A simple Google search will tell us that animal nature refers to the inherent or instinctual behaviours and characteristics of animals. So this can include things like patterns of survival, eating, mating, social interaction, territorial behaviours, and just other general reactions to their environment. Now, these are primal evolutionary drivers of animal behaviour, and this includes humans. Um, in zoology, we often summarise and refer to them as the four Fs if anybody's familiar with them. That's fighting, fleeing, feeding, and mating. <laughs> now, Marissa, you're a reproductive biologist and you work at the zoo, so you're around animals all day and only half of them are in cages. So you should be very familiar with some of these behaviours and animal instincts. But at the end of the day, we are humans. Whether we like it or not, we distinctly consider ourselves socially separate from animals. 
Um, I think a lot of this comes from the fact that we don't give in to these evolutionarily embedded urges all the time. We have perception of ourselves, we have critical thinking abilities, and we have some impulse control. Well, most of us do. Well, some of us do. If we lived with the same reckless abandon as many animals, relying on gut feelings and reacting to inherent anxieties and letting our evolutionary baggage run wild, I think the world would be a lot more fucked up, and that is the scientific term, than it already is. Science will tell us, though, that a huge driver of uh, many of these sort of instinctual patterns um, is hormones and hormonal fluctuations. So I want to put the spotlight for a moment on sex hormones in particular. And I'd like to make this point very clear. Sex hormones are stupid. <laughs> and they should absolutely not have the license to drive our complex, rational, human-thinking brains. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if we let our hormones take the wheel and if we let the intrusive thoughts win? I'm going to give you some examples from the animal kingdom and I think you'll immediately see why we don't want to replicate these kinds of behaviours in our so-called civilised society. So starting with oestrogen and progesterone, and many of us know all too well that these two can be a wicked duo, fluctuations in these two hormones help to drive um, oestrus or menstrual cycles um, in animals, and again, that includes humans. Uh, they help to explain some of the shifts in mood, some shifts in energy and shifts in desire um, during any given cycle. So getting to my point, uh, has anybody ever seen or heard cats when they're in heat? <laughs> Case in point. Um, for anyone who hasn't had the, um, this experience of, of seeing this phenomenon, um, when cats go into heat, that means that they're ready to mate, uh, that they want a baby and they will make it very clear to you what they need to happen. Um, and to be honest, they actually don't discriminate whether um, they're making it very clear to tomcats or whether they're making it very clear to their humans or making it very clear to any inanimate object that gets in their way. They will just stick their butts out, they'll roll around, they'll flirt and rub up on you, um, and by God, they will yowl. Now, can you imagine if we behaved in the same way? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not slut-shaming anybody's cats, and nor am I slut-shaming any humans, because we've been fighting for a long time to be um, sexually liberated as we would like. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we have evolved active discretion for a reason. Um, that kind of display might be appropriate in some times and places, but potentially not in your workplace. <laughs> now, testosterone, on the other hand. We've all seen what happens when testosterone is allowed to drive the ship because we probably have all, unfortunately, experienced a cisgender man who hasn't gone to therapy. Yeah, I said it. We've also all seen the Barbie movie. So we should learn a lesson from animals that let testosterone drive the ship because let me tell you, they don't have a very good ending. Take marsupials, for example. You might know where I'm going with this. Um, Antichinus and even our beloved quolls have pretty short breeding seasons. Um, and during this time, the males, their testosterone levels just absolutely skyrocket. And that drives them to what researchers have described as frenzied sexual activity, where they can screw for literally days on end and compete very violently for mates, after which all of the males simply die. I'm not joking. <laughs> There's a period of time in some of these um, species populations where the percentage of females is like well into the 90s. Um, and the only males that are left are those that aren't sexually mature yet or that haven't gotten a root. 
blockchain. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that doesn't sound too bad if you ask me, but you still get my point. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm really going ham on something. <laughs> um, my final point is on parenthood. And yes, we do often think as motherhood as very, as very cushy and lovey and full of joy, like those cute TikTok videos you might get on your timeline. But I'm telling you folks, it's a wild world out there. And it's not all sunshine, rainbows, and gentle parenting techniques. Parenthood in the animal kingdom is bloody brutal. Some animals have absolutely zero parental investment at all. They'll just squirt out some kids and leave them out to fend for themselves which, if you ask some of the mothers in the room, may not be an unfamiliar desire. But again, we are humans, and going against instinct and unreasonable desire is part of what makes us human and makes us um, special. A bunch of animal mothers, like mice, donuts, rabbits, will also just go right ahead and eat their newborn bubs, just nom 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 on their babies, <laughs> if they sense that something's not quite right. Some will do it even just for a snack if they feel like it. The phrase, you're acting like an animal, is used as an insult for a reason. <laughs> We've created this separation from animals, whether you agree or not, based on, again, critical thinking and impulse control, the ideas of ethics and morality and this perception of who we are in the world. Embracing our animal nature would go distinctly against these things that we say makes us human. So should we embrace our animal nature? We on the negative theme think absolutely not. Giving in to animalistic urges may feel good momentarily, but what are the broader consequences in our society? This is just an absurd idea and would only lead to destruction, moral decline, and chaos all round. Thank you. <laughs> Ebony Chiarache! Yes. I will never look at a quoll quite the same way. Uh, in more science news uh, this week, scientists have witnessed the first stages of a common accent developing in Antarctica among the ever-changing population of scientists, which is pretty wild um, among the scientists who spend months together at research stations in the isolated continent. And a team at the University of Munich studied the phonetic change of accents among 11 scientists recruited from the British Antarctic Survey and they recorded their voices at the beginning of the study and then four times after that. And they noticed significant changes. Um, they found that pronouncing their words uh, with longer vowels and smaller O's was really common across the group. Um, and the changes were subtle, uh, but they were significant enough to be measured and even predicted using a computational model. Uh, what caused these we don't know. Did residents just talk slower on the count of being very cold? Um, maybe when it's minus 50 degrees out, you have a strong motivation to keep your mouth more closed to stop the heat getting out. Um, it didn't include... The study didn't include whether there were certain phrases that were more common in Antarctica. For example, shut the door, Greg. I have just defrosted my fingers. Or, were you born in a tent, Greg? I swear if I have to ask you again, you will be polar bear food and they won't find a trace of you come the spring. Or, I'm going for a walk. I may be some time. <laughs> the study proves it doesn't take long for a group that is truly isolated from the rest of society to start forming their own dialect. 
which really explains quirky and exotic phrases uh, from Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe, uh, such as, people are happy about interest rate rises, and my favourite, capitalism works. <laughs> we all hope Philip becomes reunited with the rest of society soon. Uh, on to our next debater, Marissa Parrott is a reproductive biologist, wildlife conservation and scientist at Zoos Victoria. Uh, maximising breeding success and conservation of endangered marsupials is her area of expertise and fighting extinction through increasing genetic diversity across isolated populations like Antarctica. And doing it with style, please make some noise for Marissa Parrott. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. It's fabulous to be here on the winning team <laughs> with the excellent arguments. Guys, thanks for coming. Good for you. Now, I am often asked about my name, if it's a real name. Yes, it is. I am a parrot at the zoo. <laughs> but as we heard, I'm also a reproductive and conservation biologist. So who better to tell you why we need to embrace our animal natures for our own survival. It's extremely important, despite what you might hear. We are animals. Simply put, as Michelle said, we are animals with animal natures. That is science. Science is a quest for the truth. This team would deny that science. They can't handle the truth. <laughs> You shouldn't trust them. Because of an, as animals, as Ebony said, we follow the basic drivers, the four Fs. We have the same urges, the same needs as animals. We follow the same biological cues, like the moon, for example. At the zoo, we never go out and survey our beautiful little animals like pukilas and smoky mice at the full moon because we know that they wouldn't be out and about. Humans, too, are affected by the full moon. Research shows that we sleep much worse around full moon times, even when we can't see the moon and moonlight. We are that in tune still with our animal natures. In the past, people called this lunacy around the lunar cycles. They even said we turned into werewolves. We weren't werewolves, we all just desperately needed a nap. <laughs> now, this team would tell us that we shouldn't embrace our animal natures, we should ignore it and push it away. But if we do that, it's dangerous. You see, at full moons, ambulance officers, police, people in hospitals, they all expect an influx of people because we are affected by these moons. Unfortunately, around the full moon, motorcycle accidents are considerably worse. In fact, at a supermoon, 32% increase in motorcycle accidents. Don't laugh at that. That's awful. But if we understand and we embrace our animal natures, we can plan ahead for this. We can't control the moon, but we can plan ahead and just might save ourselves. Now, as a reproductive biologist... I understand all of this, and I spend a lot of my time thinking about sex and mate choice. I'm sure a lot of other people here think about that too, but I'm paid to do it. 
And at the zoos, we know that we have to maintain animal natures for the survival of species. For example, the endangered eastern barred bandicoot chooses their mate based on scent and genetic compatibility. Surprise, surprise, so do people. In research where women were given T-shirts from different men, women were able to choose and found the most attractive scents were from males that were genetically dissimilar and compatible to themselves. We use these things every day without even realising. Now, Tasmanian devils, they use scent a different way as well. Males can actually sniff out which females are the most fertile, so they can approach them because you don't want to approach a devil when she doesn't want to be approached. She can be downright dangerous and a real little devil. Humans can do the same kind of thing. We can tell fertility through smell and through appearance. And in fact, in a wide-ranging set of research, and this was to do with women exotic dancers, researchers found that the dancers at their most fertile time of the month got the most tips from the audience. At their least fertile time, so when they were pregnant or on the contraceptive pill, they got the fewest tips and the least money. We can actually tell this with our animal natures, but what you want to do with that information is now totally up to you. <laughs> Other research shows, as we just heard, that hormones change throughout our cycles and will affect our choice of mate too. So, women were far more interested at their most fertile times in the appearance of men with stronger jaws and more muscles, that high testosterone we just heard about. And at other times, they went for the images of the more softer, safer-looking males. So this is quite interesting. It does change with cycles, but again, with the contraceptive pill, that changes everything too. And when people come off the pill, we don't find our mates quite so attractive anymore. And in fact, it's been implicated in high divorce rates. So this is a problem we need to understand and embrace our animal nature to know what is happening to have stable environments and stable relationships. We try and mask our scent. We try and manipulate our hormones. We try to ignore our animal natures. Is it any wonder our fertility is dropping and that half of all marriages end in divorce? By not having our animal natures, we're headed for doom. Don't let the lawyers win. Understand these natures. Now, we also ignore our animal natures because we seem to think we're superior to other animals. We're better than them. But are we really? If anyone here were to be pregnant, it would be for nine months and you would give birth to something the size of a watermelon from a very small hole. But let's think about marsupials. Dunarts, for example, beautiful little carnivorous marsupials. The striped-faced dunart has the shortest known pregnancy of any mammal. They're pregnant for 10.7 days. And they give birth to something the size of a grain of rice. So much smarter than us. <laughs> and as a marsupial, as we heard, they have an inbuilt pocket. I get so angry like everyone else up here about the lack of pockets in women's clothing. <laughs> Honestly, false pockets? What the hell is that? <laughs> These guys have their own pockets. They would never lose their keys. They're so much smarter than us. Now, we've also just heard about Antichinus, the species I did my PhD on. 
and we heard that this was negative. Those males mate for two weeks straight. And yes, they die, but they go out with a bang. <laughs> and of course, the females live on. That's wonderful. <laughs> and just think about it. Messy breakup with a boyfriend. Impending divorce. Awkward one-night stand. Just wait two weeks. <laughs> the problem solves itself. So much smarter than us. But speaking of what happens in bed, I know, where is she going next with this? It's been really cold the last week. Has anyone else struggled to get out of their nice warm beds? I know I have. Yes, we all have. Not the mountain pygmy possum. See, mountain pygmy possums eat whatever they want all autumn. They more than double their body weight from 40 grams to 80 grams, and then they hibernate all winter. Best sleep ever. And even better, when they wake up in spring, they've lost half their body weight and they're back at 40 grams. They are swimsuit ready for summer without even trying. <laughs> so much smarter than us. Because they embrace their animal natures. And we need to do this too. They can survive in these areas because of those animal natures. And the simple fact is, we are animals and we need our animal natures because humans are awesome. We do amazing things. We have amazing brains. We create beautiful structures like dams. Okay, beavers do that too. That's their animal natures. We're all animals in this together. We have amazing technology. Not tonight. <laughs> but in general, we create amazing art. And we can do all of that because we follow our animal natures and we play to our natural skill sets. Ignore your animal nature and you are doomed. But embrace your animal nature and you will survive and thrive. Just don't try to mate yourself to death. Leave that to the antichinus. Thanks, everyone. Marissa Parrott. Uh, look, you've been very well behaved as an audience. I would say possibly too well behaved, if anything. Uh, so you've earned yourself an intermission. Um, go get a drink at the bar or go to the toilet or stretch your legs. Um, it's 7.30 now, so let's all have a break and come back at uh, 7.45. I'll see you then. <laughs> all right. Welcome back to the second half of Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate. We have 100% of our debaters. Marvellous. Well, we will kick off and continue uh, to move forward with our next speaker, Elise Phillips is the sec second negative. Uh, now, Elise is a writer, an illustrator, a comedian, and a horse appreciator. Um, she's performed sketch comedy all around the country and writes for ABC TV's Hard Quiz. But more importantly, she was on the debating team at high school, and you can tell. <laughs> you can decide whether or not that's derogatory. Please welcome to the stage, Elise Phillips. Hello. Uh, thank you so much uh, for all so far doing such a great job of sitting and listening and absorbing all the arguments being presented to you in a quiet and respectful manner rather than collapsing into a heap of rioting and rooting like the affirmative team would have you do. Um, I, really, I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. It's beautiful to see. Um, my name is Elise. I'm the second speaker for the negative team. And tonight, not only do I want to argue that we shouldn't 
embrace our animal nature. I want to posit that humans are at our best uh, when we, we, we truly thrive even when we actively deny our animal nature. Um, let me begin with a very current example. Um, in this moment, right now, my animal nature knows that the Avonu team is my enemy. Um, my senses are overloaded with lights and sounds and smells and the little pit of fear that pops up in your gut when you've got to present a cohesive argument in front of a room of strangers. And, you know, the little animal alarm bell is going off in the back of my brain, running a fight-or-flight fire drill, and every synapse in my body is telling me I should do a poop in my hand and throw it at them. <laughs> but instead, I'm, I'm choosing to not embrace my animal nature right now. I'm leaving, I'm leaving all my poop in my body where it belongs, and I'm going to argue with my words rather than my actions. Um, we have, we've just come back from a, a break, so I'd like to just start by reminding you all that in the first half, Michelle did come up here and admit that she's a predator um, <laughs> who hates children but respects the poo jogger. I think you should just keep that in the back of your mind for the rest of the night. Um, it's, it's really important. Um, we then had... Uh, Marissa Parrott, our, our lovely second speaker for the affirmative here, who works at Melbourne Zoo. So, of course, she thinks that we should embrace our animal nature. She's in the pocket of big animal, okay? <laughs> she wants us all to get down with the animals, get down to the zoo, give them the big bucks that she's then going to put in her handy little marsupial pockets, okay? And also, her surname is Parrot. I'm not entirely convinced that Marissa is not an actual parrot that's here undercover, you know, if science is a quest for truth, why won't Marissa fess up that she's an actual parrot here to attack humanity and steal all of our delicious seed and grain, okay? I'm not having a bar of it. Um, Marissa also thinks that we can't control the moon. I have a little more faith in us as a species, okay? I think with enough effort and research, we in 10 to 15 years could control the moon, okay? And I stand by that. You can come find me in 15 years. If we've not controlled the moon... I will be very upset. Ms. <laughs> um, also brought up uh, scent and hormones and how that can affect how uh, attracted we are. You know, the, the classic experiment of women sniffing disgusting, smelly T-shirts. Um, and to that, I would just say, um, how many women do you know who have good taste in men? <laughs> how, many, how many straight women do you know who are happy with their choices and all of their relationships who you, you call up and chat to on the weekend, were like, yeah, no, that gut-level decision that I made about a man in the club, that was correct. <laughs> yeah, your laughter <laughs> seals my point. Thank you. <laughs> um, and finally, I just I feel like a lot of the things that Marissa presented as negatives are actually great, and I love them. Um, so I, I don't quite understand <laughs> what you're... Like, divorce is awesome. Um, pregnancy is an absolute body horror, and I will be popping contraceptives until I die. <laughs> um, People who mess around with their hormones are extremely hot. Like, these are all positives. I don't understand why we should be bothered about any of them. So, let me, let me, get, into, let me get into my argument. For hundreds of years, you know, dozens even, um, humans have been moving away from our animal nature. And with every step that we take, we become better. We've developed new ways of being. You know, unlike animal, other animals, we, we live with the existential horror of knowing that one day we'll die... Um, I know this because earlier I did the most depressing search of my life and Googled, do animals know that they will die one day? And Google said, probably not. 
Um, and then I followed it up with the second most depressive Google search of my life and typed in, um, do animals experience shame? And Google said, probably not. Um, and then after that, I Googled uh, Colin Farrell, how old? Because I recently watched After Yang and he looks great. Like he could really get it. He's 47. That's actually younger than I thought he was. But that's by the by. That's not, not my point. Existential terror, shame. These are unique skills that bring so much value to our lives. If we were to embrace our animal natures and try and live without fear of death, without shame, wow, I mean, if you think about it for just a second, it does actually sound pretty good, but then you realise that we would never get anything done. We would never learn from our mistakes, we would have nothing to joke about, we would never have a quarter-life crisis, take an improv class, throw ourselves entirely into the world of comedy until it's not a hobby anymore, it's our job now and that fun little treat kind of has to go well or we can't pay rent and we'll starve. You know that one? That one might just be me. But, you know, we all have a story like this. We all have something like this. Our non-animal traits are vital. They push us forward. They make us better. People... <sighs> People who try to embrace their animal nature are some of the worst people out there, and I stand by that. We all know it. Um, they're the people down at the beach, nude, in a yoga pose, trying to directly sun their butthole because the apes did it once, you know. They're the people who are taking their kids to chickenpox parties because they've never seen a hen give an egg a vaccination, so it can't be natural, you know. I, I hate to break it to you, but people who try to embrace their animal nature, they're the ones subsisting on an all-meat diet, you know, choking down cube after cube of salty beef. And then the next thing you know, you're in a, you know, drug-induced coma in Russia and you also suck, you know. <laughs> you're just the absolute worst and yet still somehow your book is in the little top ten bit of airport bookshops. Like how? Still. <laughs> I saw it last week. What's going on? <laughs> Uh, um, look, I'm not saying that if you want to embrace your animal nature, you're as terrible as Jordan Peterson, but I'm not not saying that, you know? I'm kind of saying that. Embracing your animal nature, it's, it's an embrace of the past. It's conservatism. It's an attempt to cling on to a natural, uh, natural world that we've evolved past. It's drunk texting your ex in a moment of weakness. No, you've grown, girl. You deserve better. <laughs> Don't. Don't do it. Which... It brings me to the central point of my argument that the second I can ditch my horrible, rotting, fleshy prison of a body and move my consciousness into a robot, I'm doing it. I'm doing it because we all deserve better. And if you disagree with me, that's fine, but I will think you're lying to me. Um, robot bodies would be extremely cool. Cyborgs are the future and we all want to be the Terminator and Terminator 2 deep in our hearts. I'd now, <clears throat> I'd now like to take some time to not only describe the robot body I would like in detail, um, but I would like to ask anyone here in the scientific community who may have ties to people who could make this happen to please, please help me make this happen. Okay. Um, <clears throat> scientists, speaking to you now, um, I know you have a lot of science to do and very little money to do it with, um, but I would really love for someone to build me great honking robot legs so that I can stomp around the neighbourhood and inspire others with my might. I would really love it. Um, we live in troubled times. Um, as a society, we need a big project uh, that will provoke awe in small children and bring comfort to the old. Um, a common good, if you will, uh, to bring around the doubters and make science seem magical again. Um, I... 
I believe that the world can unite around me and my wompingly massive metal legs that I would use to stride through the countryside with a really satisfying clanking noise. Um, and while we're at it, um, I would also really love like some long spindly metal arms, um, the hollow ones like tubes, um, so that I can reach things that are really high up, but also people could get inside them and do really sick skate tricks. I think that would be great. Um, I don't think it's too much to ask, uh, and I firmly believe that we do have the technology to achieve it. Um, we probably have the knowledge in this room to achieve it. Uh, you all look very smart and also attractive. And also, like, you make good decisions in who should win debates. You do. Um, but then also, what if, like, what if for my torso it was, like, one of those teeter-totter things that can't be knocked over, um, but then we make it out of something really chic, like a polycarbonate, um, and we stencil on, like, a decal of pearlescent flames? Um, <laughs> the sort of thing that you could customise um, your car with on in um, 2003's Need for Speed Underground on PlayStation 2. That's the sort of vibe I'm going for. Um, and we could put like a speaker in the butt that's constantly playing Get Low by Little John, um, as heard in the menu for 2003's Need for Speed Underground on PlayStation 2. Um, I believe in science and I believe science can do this for me. I really do. Um, I haven't thought much about what the head would look like. Um, we can probably, we can work that out later. I think I've probably given the science community enough to be going on with at this point. Um, the point is though, the robot body would look sick as hell, um, way better than any skin and bones and gory inside's body could ever, ever look. Um, and also it should have a big horn on it that I can honk like a big truck. Um, so I thank you in advance, scientific community, for building me this robot body um, so that I can say farewell to this extremely annoying sack of guts that loves to do things like knee hurt for no reason, forget to breathe during sleep and um, back hurt for no reason. <laughs> I can't offer you any money, but I can offer you my ongoing admiration and respect, which is almost like money. Um, and with that, I'd, I'd like to return from that aside, thank you scientists, and return to the debate at hand. Um, robots in many ways are the future. They are what humans should aspire to. It's the artificial that we should embrace, not the animal. And I'm not I'm not just saying that because I'm increasingly certain that AI will rule over us in our lifetime and I want to have it on the public record that I'm on their side now. On Saturday, August 19th, 2023, years before the threat became so real that everyone started jumping ship. <laughs> I would never do that. I'm not a coward. This, this comes from a genuine belief that the robots are our superiors and they should take our jobs. Um, um, our animal nature is to make terrible choices rooted in our basest instincts, fears and desires. Why would we embrace this when instead we could reach forward into a sensible, chrome-filled future that can save us from our mistake-addled meat brains? I hope that you will join me in standing tall and proud and then immediately lying down and letting our robot overlords walk over our prone bodies into a brighter tomorrow. Thank you. Elise Phillips. One person's debate topic is another person's cry for help, you know, so. Uh, we're on to our third and final debater for the affirmative. Erin Michelle is a visual artist, stand-up comedian, stop-motion animator and casual poet from Brisbane. I don't know what a casual poet is, but perhaps we will find out together. Um, they're a fierce defender of Steven Spielberg's greatest film, Hook. Uh, that's controversial. They wrote and performed puppeteer duties for the comedy web series Hug the Sun, which probably explains a lot, actually. 
And I love an unhinged tweet. Erin has been described as a con comedy anglerfish. Bright light in front, jagged teeth right behind that. Please welcome to the stage, Erin Michelle. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. There we go. I'm Erin. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Your Honour. <laughs> okay. I um, I expected the negative team to leave lean a lot more heavily on the furry community being weird. <laughs> Just give me a sec. <laughs> Rich history, valid lifestyle. <laughs> Who are they hurting? Okay. As I explained to my extended family last Christmas, neither the woke left nor the affirmative team is demanding that you stop making fun of fairies. <laughs> Until dogs start wearing human skin suits and start asking us on dates, I feel like any serious moral outrage is wasted on imagining fairies as anything other than an impotent non-issue. Um, <laughs> but let's get to the real issues. <laughs> We, the affirmative team, have argued that our animal nature is inescapable and aspirational, and now I argue that it is reputational. If we don't embrace our own animal nature and maximise our proper inherent potential like every other creature on Earth, it will be socially embarrassing. We need to be honest about and secure in our own animal natures or we will continue to have an obviously insecure vibe. <laughs> For 95% of human evolution, we have lived in sync with the world around us, in touch with our animal nature, and we were cool. <laughs> At the moment, all our ability to further our societies and gain social clout amongst each other is to be poor imitations of other animals instead of embracing ourselves. Platypuses build themselves amazing mansions. We have mansions. Our technologies, sonar, flight, electricity has all been done already by other animals. Fireflies are light bulbs. <laughs> there are birds that set fires. Ants have agriculture, farming and herding. And we are copying them. And we are protect. Hang on, sorry. I changed from being on my tiptoes to standing on flat, so I got a bit uh, uh, combobulated. <laughs> we're copying them and we're pretending that we're better than them. Narcissistic. And let's not kid ourselves that the animals won't notice. The orcas have already started bullying us and the best that we can do to stop them is to say, stop. <laughs> Bees have incredible social hierarchies and will kick out or kill their queen if she stops slaying. Imagine what they'd do to us if they found out how embarrassing we are making ourselves. I bet the salamanders have already found out the theory of everything and they're just refusing to tell us about it because we would act like we figured it out first. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> Most of my science understanding 
still comes from the original Magic School Bus series from the 90s. <laughs> I tried to watch the reboot, it's okay. <laughs> but any child, any human child that's seen Lizzie McGuire or The Saddle Club or Boy Meets World or Full House knows that the only way to be cool is to be yourself. <laughs> right now, we're not only copying animals, refusing to embrace our, our, our actual selves, but we're also desperate for animals' approval about it. <laughs> My proof of concept for this is the negative team's Instagram accounts. <laughs> Ebony, <laughs> you stated that we are socially separate from animals, yet in your third most recent Instagram post, you are holding a white cat up in the air like Simba. <laughs> Arguably a very popular animal. You saw Simba wearing army pants and flip-flops, and so you made your cat buy army pants and flip-flops, <laughs> so to speak. Also, the first thing that you said in your intro was that you look up to Marissa, in s and th then you got defensive about it and wanted to crush our team. <laughs> Socially separate. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> Elise. You don't seem to be using any pet photos on your Instagram for social cachet. But your pinned post is an advertisement for a jumper that you have designed to be covered in a bunch of seals. <laughs> you, Elise, are actively trying to monetize our desires to be associated with cool animals <laughs> and their cool animal natures. Your rent and ultimately your survival on this planet <laughs> depends on it. <laughs> Don't act like you're above them. No wonder you think terror and shame are good. Uh, just to add a rebuttal um, into the list of defamations, you raise vaccines, but vaccines first happened naturally from milkmaids getting cowpox, which then protected them from smallpox. And these things we think of as human are also animal, and it's naive to think of vaccines as unrelated to cow tits. <laughs> Nicholas, your first post on Instagram your most recent is two cats hanging out with each other, but not with you. <laughs> the social exclusion has already begun. <laughs> if we vote for your team and continue down this path of separation and exclusion, we will all end up with feeds entirely made up of other animals being friends with each other without us, cucked and waiting from the side, <laughs> taking photos. Your second Instagram post has you desperately hugging a giant pink plushie My Little Pony. Pinkie Pie. What? <laughs> Pinkie Pie, for those in the know. 
You're so hungry for animal clout that you will throw yourself at any garish effigy that even remotely resembles a real member of the animal kingdom. But that's my opinion. And what is science but a bunch of opinions? But I am not immune. None of us are immune. I once went scuba diving on, in Queensland, on the island, um, and Stradbroke Island, North Stradbroke Island. It's very good. Um, there's manta rays there. They weren't on that day, but I went, <laughs> I went to Lady Island another time, and I saw them there, so it's okay. But I went scuba diving in the reef, and... As we were scuba diving, there was this yellow trumpet fish and it kept hanging out with us. And I was so excited because all the wobbegongs and the turtles didn't want a bar of us, but this fish kept swimming around us and I reached out to it and I thought, it wants to be our friend. And it looked at me like this. <laughs> but it kept hanging around us. So later when I, I, I Googled it, and what trumpet fish do is they will swim behind other animals to hide from their prey. And the minute we got there, this fish was like, bunch of losers I can use. <laughs> In this previous context, as the negative team doubles down on their separatist, elitist and exclusionary arguments, to me it just sounds like you're saying, we're not like the other girls while at the same time being desperate for the other girl's approval. <laughs> the negative team is displaying massive pick-me behavior. <laughs> it's tragic. Guess what, bitches? We are just like the other girls. And the other girls are awesome. So to the other team, the negative team, I say the same thing I would say to anyone else who is struggling with their self-image. Stop asking for someone else to pick you. Pick yourself. <laughs> Your animals start acting like it. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. <laughs> so let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. And what they do on the Discovery Channel is science. <laughs> on a more serious note, Nothing good comes from living in denial. <laughs> Embracing our actual nature and actual reality is the only way we'll be able to navigate our future on this planet in every way. We do not need to be the only species gaslighting ourselves, saying it's fine, saying that they are jealous of us. It's looking in the mirror obsessively as our houses fall into the sea and our stock markets go up in literal bushfires. Every step of our evolutionary history has been baked in reality. If there is water, animals swim. If there is air, animals fly. If there are trees, animals climb them. Right now, human life is a nightmare. So we have to wake up and face it properly. That's all. <laughs> Aaron Michelle. <laughs> We are up to our final debater for this evening. Uh, our third and final speaker tonight is Nicholas J. Johnson, who is a science communicator, a magician, a best-selling author, and a con man. Uh, 
But he uses his cons for good, not evil, turning his audiences into walking bullshit detectors. Uh, he's written three novels on deception and hosts the podcast Scammerpalooza, which attempts to separate facts from fraud as Nicholas explores the world of swindles with a rogues gallery of confidence artists that are his guests. Make some noise for our final debater tonight! Oh, good evening. Uh, so tonight it falls on me as the third speaker and and probably the, the least prepared speaker, to be honest, uh, to sum up this evening's debate. And, and it's an unnecessary task because the answer is clear. We should not embrace our animal nature. Uh, while my colleagues here uh, embraced the higher thinking and reason that only humans can, the affirmative team decided tonight to embrace their animal natures, like bored monkeys in a zoo, <laughs> engaging in what can only be described as intellectual masturbation, <laughs> and sort of poking their own shit with a stick. (laughs) And it's sad because they are wonderful humans. In the real world, they're wonderful, wonderful humans. We started with Michelle, who has worked as a a researcher into neurological disease, important human work, helping stroke victims, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was rushed to hospital earlier this year with a suspected stroke. Yeah, it turned out it was a sex headache. Um... (laughs) which I didn't know was a thing, and they brought in an expert, like a stroke expert, was called in from home to look at me and go, no, that's a sex headache. (laughs) But important work nonetheless. And yet tonight she got up here and instead decided to embrace her animal instinct and rambled about shark uteruses and poo joggers. She actually got up and said that she couldn't actually tell the difference between what an animal was and what a human was. She couldn't tell the difference, which doesn't fly as evidence in a debate or apparently in a court of law. The... Also, there was a lot of talk about the Beatles. Beatles came, the Beatles, she kept talking about the Beatles and how the Beatles seek out nutritional food. We know they do that. We've listened to the lyrics. Of course they do. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper, strawberry fields to get, uh, forever. I want to hold your ham. <laughs> Lovely Peter. I'm going to be honest, I spent most of my time coming up with Beatles puns. <laughs> Let it beans. You know what, I'm, I'm going to continue. Um... It's also pointed that our default state is chaos, that, that we want to be, that we want to, you know, we start out as toddlers and we have to have these sort of animal instincts sort of taken out of us as if, like, that's a bad thing, as if we want toddlers to act the way that they do. Like, that's something that the parents are all on board with. No, we, we don't want toddlers to act like toddlers. That's why we invented bluey and melatonin. <laughs> uh, you say good pie, I say jello. Um... I am the Eggman, I am the Waffles, goo goo Actually, the most of it, the rest of it is, is just all um, Beatles puns. I, I won't do any more. I'll do two more. Uh, the Ballad of John and Yoplay, uh, Twisties and Shout in Eight Days a Week, but eight is spelled A-T-E. Uh, uh, she was followed by Mar- uh, Marissa, who's a, a reproductive biologist for Zoos Victoria. A reproductive biologist. That, see, that is a brilliant job. That is someone who probably is a child. She saw two dogs trying to have sex and went, I want to help. <laughs> get, roll up the sleeves. Get me in there, okay? She shows compassion for animals that animals, no animal would reciprocate. That You don't see animals trying to help humans get laid. Yeah? At best, they'll sit on the edge of the bed and sort of stare at us. That's it. Yeah? 
But she's up there in the real world. That's what she's doing. She's helping. And yet tonight she said that, well, firstly, she got up and she said we should embrace the truth. And before talking about werewolves and, and, and the full moon affecting hospitals, which, by the way, isn't true. I mean, the, the thing about sleep, sure, but the whole idea, oh, full moons act like act crazy. Oh, there's, things change during a, a, a full moon at hospitals. Again and again, when I actually test that using science, you know, that thing humans do, it turns out that's not actually true. It's not. It's just illusory. illusory Correlation. I tried to use a fancy word. Damn it. <laughs> and then, of course, we were presented with strip clubs. Strip clubs as evidence, as a model for human behavior. That we should look at strip clubs and go, see, it works there. It can work everywhere. <laughs> I've never been to a strip club, he said convincingly. <laughs> but if I had been to Rumours or whatever, any of the other fine establishments here in our fine city... I don't think I would see behaviour that is one we want to replicate across the species. There was also a suggestion we should give birth to rice-sized babies, that rice-sized babies was a good thing. I've lost my regular-sized baby many times. <laughs> many. Do you know how many... Can you imagine trying to find a rice-sized baby at the park, at a play centre, digging around, looking for a tiny little rice-sized infant in the ball pit? It's not going to happen. <laughs> and then finally, Erin, a professional comedian whose website describes her as uh, this site cannot be reached. Check if there is a typo in erinmitchell.com.au. Erin uh, decided to turn to Instagram, which uh, as, as sort of evidence for, for the way in which we act and the way in which humans act. Of course, we all know that the one thing about Instagram is, of course, that it is a perfect reflection of reality. Um, although, yes, there is a photograph of me hugging Pinkie Pie, uh, and it was one of the most magical experiences of my life. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> Basically, the, the her argument essentially came... The, the point was that we've copied animals' natural skills, that animals have these things that they've evolved to have, that their bums light up, that, you know, that they, they've sewn out, and all these things naturally, and that we've somehow stolen them made them better, yeah, improved on them, and benefited our lives with those things. Well, yeah, of course we have. There is nothing more human than stealing things and taking credit for them. <laughs> That's, that is the most human thing in the world, of course. I didn't make all of these jokes up. I stole them from the other speaker's reject pile. <laughs> on the other hand, of course, my teammates tonight fucking nailed it. They killed it. Ebony started strong uh, after our, our first speaker. She decided to take a different uh, approach and actually, you know, discuss the topic. Um, and she dove into the four Fs of the animal kingdom and showed that while they feel good, actions have consequences. Uh, I have two of those consequences at home and they give me the shits. <laughs> yeah. And you just introduce this idea that animals, uh, that humans have self-control in the way that animals don't. Self-control is important. It is vital to human civilization. Uh, as the only man up here on the stage tonight, it took all of my self-control not to leap up and start trying to fix the microphone. <laughs> Asking them if they've unplugged it and plugged it back in again. Really mansplaining things, but I didn't. Self-control is vital for humans. Our, 
Our second speaker release uh, showed that humans are at their best when they actively deny their human nature. She shared with us her vision for a robotic AI-enhanced future where the moon is held in her metallic grip and wielded against our enemies. Because, as a great man once said, as an AI language model, I don't have access to real-time information about current events or activities. <laughs> about current events or activities. <laughs> and, of course, the benefit of shame. Of course, shame is an important thing. Yeah? You rattled off uh, uh, the, the people who, don't, who have no shame, who embrace their animal nature, and, and then, of course, rattled off a, a long list of potential Joe Rogan guests, the worst of humanity. Instead, she argued that we should reach forward. And to sum up tonight, I'd like to do the same, to suggest that we, as humans, shouldn't look to our animal pasts, but look to the future. The way I see it is this. The animal kingdom is like, uh, is like Canberra. Uh, no, no, Canberra is fine. Canberra is fine. Uh, it's, a, it's got some lovely parks. I'm from Canberra, okay? Right? Uh, but I've also worked very hard to not be in Canberra anymore, yeah? Because Canberra's just a little bit shit, yeah? And people say, oh, no, no, it's just like Melbourne now. Braddon's full of, like, hip cafes. And I'm like, oh, that's a bit like saying a horse is like a human because it can wear pants. Like, it's not <laughs> the same, Yeah? I've spent 20 years trying to get away from Canberra and humans have worked very hard from two point f for 2.5 million years trying to separate ourselves from the animal kingdom. We've created beautiful, wonderful things. Science, art, the theme song to White Lotus, <laughs> the theme song to Succession, the theme song to the second season of White Lotus, which I think we can all agree is even better than the first. Going into, uh, giving in to our animal nature is a betrayal of everything that we've achieved. Giving in to our animal instincts would be like me moving back to live with my parents <laughs> at the age of 43. It's a step backwards. I don't want to go back to Canberra. <laughs> okay? But the pull is strong. I, I, I get that, right? But it... I'm going to be honest, I don't want to go back to Canberra and, and if I lose one more co comedy debate, I think I'm going to have to. <laughs> so please, to conclude tonight, humans should not embrace their animal nature. Thank you very much. Nicholas J. Johnson. We've, we've seen a lot... This evening, we've heard a lot uh, and we'll be working to forget a lot in the very near future. Um, I will, in a second, provide you with a, a little bit of a summary of <laughs> what we've experienced this evening. Um, but before we do that, uh, I'm going to throw to the debaters quickly. If there's anything that you want to plug that you're doing currently or that people, places people can find you in a sort of legal and consensual way, um, if this audience would like more of your work. Erin, um, do you want to... Does this work now? Maybe. No, I couldn't tell. I think it does work. It's just very quiet. It does work. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, I'm on the internet at Erin Michelle BRB. It's like I'll be right back if you visit twice. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we've heard tonight, I'm from Zoos Victoria. We're a zoo-based conservation organisation fighting extinction. And we have a whole lot of ways that you can help the planet and our beautiful animals. So please do visit us at zoo.org.au and find out how you can make the world a better place with us. Strong pitch. I have nothing. Please, please leave me alone. <laughs> please respect Michelle's wishes. Uh, anyone have a negative? Um, if you like drag, I am performing next week at Beers for Queers. Um, it's free. You can come along or you can find me on the internet as at Basil Bush. I can't even say my own name. Uh I, I'm on Instagram, uh, Elise Phillips. Uh, you can I will post about any gigs I'm doing there. You can buy drawings I have done. Thank, thank you for your time. <laughs> uh, I'm also on social media, Honest Conman. Um, I please, I'd really love it if you'd listen to my podcast, Gamapalooza. I interview a lot of scientists. I recently interviewed Lixing Sun, who's written a book about uh, how the animal kingdom deceives us. And there's it's some really – I was generally like – normally I make lots of jokes, but I stopped making jokes because <laughs> I just had lots of questions about cuckoos and why geese like to sit on volleyballs and things like that. <laughs> it's a really good one. To extend the learnings from tonight's debate. Great. Okay. Uh, summary time. Good luck, everybody. Um, uh, Michelle began the debate by insulting the other team and telling the audience to vote for the affirmative. Um, most first speakers – attempt to achieve this with a compelling argument, but uh, (laughs) rather than direct instructions. But, you know, let's see if it works. Um, Michelle wants a kebab (laughs) and watches dogs poop, uh, but only to show them that she cares. Uh, uh, Summarise that crows are smarter than toddlers. More evidence that crows will best us come the apocalypse. Um, Now, Ebony tried to compliment her opposition into submission which is a demonstration of beta behaviour that you can find in the wild. Uh, Ebony covered that we do have some self-control. We very rarely eat our babies because of vibes. I wrote consequences with an exclamation mark and no further points to that. Uh, Marissa uh, says that science has proved that we are affected by the moon and I have a Rolodex of people I will be apologising to after this debate who I've argued with to the exact opposite of that uh, summary. Um, uh, Marissa says, we behave like animals anyway. We aren't better than animals. Um, Our babies are stupid. And that seems to be something that every team tonight has agreed with. Uh, Marissa then brought up pockets, which had become a more resilient theme of this debate than I had initially anticipated. Um, Elise uh, said that we're better uh, when we subdue our animal nature, uh, that she and all of us are suppressing it right now, and the Science Gallery Melbourne's cleaning staff, thank you for your efforts. Elise wants to take control of the moon, raising many questions about what Elise would do with the moon if she had control of it. Uh, Elise has been Googling, do animals experience shame, which has very potentially got her locked out of several capture websites. (laughs) However, Elise does want to be a robot, which will give her greater access to those same websites. Um, Elise talked about the desirable robot body for so long I forgot what we were debating about. (laughs) Uh, Then insulting all of your meat bodies, which is a bold move, but does work on some audiences. Uh, (laughs) 
Erin, uh, is not, it's not clear if the entire affirmative team has committed to the central theory on furries as the main debating topic, but went boldly ahead. Um, uh, countered the negative arguments with animals are worse than us, that animals are better than us, um, with a lot of philosophy based suspiciously heavily on early 90s sitcoms, and then went on a pet-based smear campaign. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas has given me a lot of questions as to what a sex headache is, which I will be Googling after this debate. It's not clear if the sex headache is related to the strip clubs which Nicholas has not visited. <laughs> Uh, Nicholas wants credit for not mansplaining, having potentially discovered something worse than mansplaining. <laughs> he implored us to look to the future, uh, and the future involves the bar just outside this door. So I will conclude my summary and throw it over to you, the audience. If you thought that the affirmative were the superior team for tonight's debate, I want you to make some noise. And if you thought the negative, uh, with their arguments of suppression of our animal natures, were the superior team tonight, make some noise! <laughs> in line with your vote, and in line with Nicholas's mental health... <laughs> I award tonight's debate to the negative! <laughs> <laughs> Were you going back to Canberra if you lost this debate? That was yeah. okay. All right. No one, no one needs that. <laughs> all right. Uh, a huge thank you to Science Gallery Melbourne for holding the event tonight. Uh, tonight was funded by the Royal Society of Victoria. So huge round of applause for the Royal Society of Victoria. If you enjoyed this ridiculous nonsense, uh, we do sci-fi science comedy debate throughout the year. We'll be holding our next debate on October 26 at The Howler. Uh, the topic is Science Killed Magic, which should be very interesting. Tickets are on sale now. You can jump on scifight.com.au and sign up to the newsletter. Uh, there's also a piece of paper at the back where you can put your email address if you want me to sign you up instead. I have nothing to do tomorrow. Uh, thank you so much for coming. You've been... Oh, my dear friend's birthday party is tomorrow. <laughs> it's the most wounded heckle I have ever received. I'm going to go deal with that. You go have a drink and thank you so much for coming tonight. Good night. <laughs>